On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Nice variety uh, on the front pages of the Sunday papers this morning. Uh, the Sunday Independent um, leads with a big photograph of Donald Trump in front of his golf estate in Dune Bay yesterday. He's had a sit down uh, with Neve Hoare in a quite interesting um, interview on page 10 of the Sunday Independent. We might get to that a little bit later in the hour. Uh, the main story there, though, on the front page concerns the ongoing investigation into the disappearance of Annie McCarrick. And the headline there is that Annie was a victim of violence before she vanished. Uh, Friends and family of the missing American woman, Annie McCarrick, raised concerns that prior to her disappearance, she had been harassed and subjected to physical violence by a person she knew. Their concerns are disclosed for the first time in a new RTE documentary to be broadcast tomorrow. Uh, The 26-year-old New Yorker vanished without trace from her home in Sandy Mount in March 1993. Gardy recently upgraded her case to murder. Annie's mother, Nancy, has revealed to the documentary, Missing Beyond the Vanishing Triangle, that friends told her Annie had been having quite a bit of difficulty with someone she knew. Uh, her aunt, Maureen Covell, dis- disclosed that Annie had confided in her that someone she knew had struck her when they were in a drunken state. And a group of her American friends faxed detailed statements to Ireland for Gardaí, documenting their concerns about someone in her life. That all to be uh, outlined uh, on that RT documentary tomorrow. Um, the front page of the Sunday Times, secret activity, uh, Russian activity rather, spotted in Irish waters. Russian warships and auxiliary vessels gathered off the coast of Southern Ireland last week, triggering a surveillance operation involving the Irish Naval Service and the UK's Royal Navy. Two of the Russian vessels, which include the frigate Admiral Grigorovich and a supply vessel named Kama, spent some time near subsea cables that carry internet traffic between Europe and the United States. The vessel's activity was described as being highly suspicious. Admiral Grigorovich tried to conceal its location by going dark, switching off its position signalling beacon. Uh, Kama occasionally gave its position to other ships nearby. The vessels were monitored by the Air Corps and by the LE George Bernard Shaw, as well as a British warship. Analysts believe that the Russian vessels were testing how European navies would respond to their presence in Ireland's exclusive economic zone and examining how closely the British and Irish militaries cooperate. It's also possible that the ships were uh, conducting reconnaissance in preparation for a sabotage operation. Uh, Europe is on high alert for attacks by the Russian military on subsea cables and offshore infrastructure. In September, an unknown party in the Baltic bombed the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines which carry gas between Russia and Germany. Um, Some fascinating stuff in the the detail of that which we might get to again uh, later on. Um, And the front page of the Mail on Sunday and the lead story on the Business Post both concern... The Late Late Show. Uh, the Mail on Sunday first. RTE bosses have no plan B after broadcaster Claire Byrne turned down the chance of becoming the first female host of The Late Late Show, plunging the national broadcaster into crisis. Uh, RTE last night could not confirm to the Irish Mail on Sunday if Ryan Tuberty's successor would be announced before his final show in less than three weeks, an unprecedented scenario. Uh, although it was reported that the new host would be unveiled before the end of the current series, Miss Byrne's decision to rule herself out of the race has thrown the process into turmoil. Uh, Ryan Tuberty's last show is three weeks. It's a fortnight from next Friday. He's got three shows left uh, on RTE, apparently keen to try and have somebody announced uh, before um, Tuberty finishes up uh, in three weeks' time. Uh, and the Business Post gives us more details on why Claire Byrne walked away from the job, uh, despite a willingness from bosses to cut the show's length and to radically alter its format. Uh, according to the Business Post, sources have made clear that management threw the kitchen sink at Byrne, but a series of misgivings led to her withdrawing. Uh, Byrne, the Business Post has confirmed, was the preferred candidate and had held informal talks in recent weeks before telling bosses 10 days ago that she was pulling out of the race to host Ireland's most watched TV show. Uh, 10 days ago, of course, only having announced her decision uh, last Thursday afternoon. Uh, The stuttering events to find a new host for the Late Late Show come at a time of low morale at the broadcaster and growing fears 
over the future of RTE. Now, although Byrne was never formally offered the job, the Business Post understands, and here's a series of bullet points, Byrne was the only viable candidate in the running and informal talks took place over several weeks, meaning that Miriam O'Callaghan and Sarah McInerney were not in consideration. Bosses were willing to offer to cut the show from 37 episodes to 30 and to end it at 11pm. Broken promises over her former Monday night show a negative reaction to a recent TV quiz show also played a part in her decision to withdraw. There is a belief that there is a lack of ruthlessness at the top of the organisation to deliver fundamental changes. Uh, Byrne's concerns about the weight of her, um, the weight of the job and the impact on her family life weighed heavily on her. And Patrick Keelty, the County Down comedian now based in London, is the preferred choice to take the job. Uh, one interesting nugget before we do get into our paper's review is that it is contended within the piece um, that Claire Byrne had received something of a commitment to change the time slot of the former Claire Byrne live programme on Monday night which traditionally went out at about 10.35 Ordin- on some weeks if there was a big news agenda it would often be bumped forward an hour so it would follow the 9 o'clock news um, there had been apparently a commitment to change the time slot and even potentially to put it on RTE 1 at 7pm displacing Nationwide but apparently uh, the Director General then D Forbes was unable to deliver on that commitment and apparently that has uh, posed something of a shadow over Claire Byrne's ongoing liaison uh, with uh, RTE. Uh, that's your pot of tour of what's on the front pages of the Sunday newspapers this morning. Join the studio to discuss those stories and more by Rachel Iredale, who's a consulting director at RSM Ireland, and Larry Donnelly, who's a law lecturer at uh, University of Galway. Um, good morning to you both. Um, we'll talk about all of those stories, including um, your preferred choices for Late Late Show host. By the way, do let me know your thoughts on who you'd like to be the Late Late Show host. 87 1400 uh, is your number for WhatsApps. Um, but there's quite a lot, as of course there always is, Uh, inside the Sunday papers about housing Uh, and Larry I want to get your thoughts first of all uh, on an interesting spread uh, across page six of the Business Post, which I think is possibly a harbinger of the sort of direction that we're going down on housing. Um, Supermax owner Pat McDonough uh, is suggesting that he's going to have to soon provide housing for about a quarter of his staff in in order to be able to merely fill jobs at his restaurant chain. Tells us an awful lot about how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose Pat McDonough is probably in the reasonably lucky position that he has such a, I suppose, an empire in terms of restaurants and property, etc., that he's in a position to do so. Lots of others uh, are not, but it's an inevitable consequence when you have uh, low-paid workers in the hospitality, retail sector, etc. You know, when you have high-paid workers who are struggling to pay the rent, can't get a mortgage, etc. And then when you have low-paid workers who have absolutely no chance uh, whatsoever, uh, given where we are, uh, that this is going to become uh, more a part uh, of our economy. And it points to the fact that, um, you know, look, we, we've all been talking and talking and talking uh, about a housing crisis, but uh, it just doesn't seem to be moving. We don't seem to be getting things done uh, as quickly as we should be, as quickly as we need to be. Mm. Uh, do I have all the answers to that? No, I don't. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, I think that the vast majority of people, and we see this in the opinion polls and the drift towards Sinn Féin, Uh, among almost all demographic groups uh, is that the people are clamoring for very serious dramatic action including far more state intervention than is the case now Uh, when we will get it uh, I don't know Um, we feel it's a bonus to be able to offer that to staff uh, 
says Pat McDonough in this Business Post piece today, uh, whether they're from abroad or local, and that's where it's stretching, that it's not just people who are coming from overseas who need accommodating. A lot of them are actually Irish natives. Um, of the probably 1,400 to 1,500 that they're employing at the minute, he says, we have about 150 staying in accommodation that we have either sourced or supplied. It's not a huge amount, yet it is growing. We are still looking for accommodation for people. It will end up at 20 to 25%, I'd say. It was originally part of the hospitality industry in the past, and I think it's going back to that again. It's quite... One thing that strikes me immediately from this, Rachel Ardell, uh, and according to you, is the idea that you might end up having people who are sort of beholden to jobs almost, that they feel that they're unable to actually shop around in the jobs market or go looking for jobs that could potentially pay higher because they are indirectly being housed by the people who employ them right now and it means they feel more beholden to their jobs than might be healthy to be. I think it's going to be very important in terms of what employers are able to offer potential employees in the future as part of work packages. So I've heard news reports this week about whether nurses should have accommodation, whether teachers, should Mm. it be construction workers. There's actually a really nice piece in the Mail on Sunday um, citing a report from the ESRI with some good data on just on home ownership. So 90% of people now in the bracket uh, that are just about to retire own their own home and mm. only about 3% of them still have a mortgage to pay. But if you look at people aged 35 to 44, only about 65% of them own their own home. And if you go down to the 25 to 34, only 40%. So fewer and I'm fewer. I'm actually amazed it's as high as 40% yeah, in truth because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in the, the 35 to 44 age group. And, and do I, you own I, your own home? I do. Uh, and uh, beca- uh, partly just, yeah. just the pure fortune of being in a position to actually get into the market nearly nine years ago when we did because yeah. to be honest if the prices had had kept going and we hadn't got in mm-hmm. then they would have run away mm-hmm. with us and then with the mortgage lending limits we would have been completely flummoxed uh, but also the fortune in that my uh, my wife and I are together 17 years and uh, to be honest I can't imagine anybody even in a couple in their 20s but moreover mm-hmm. couples now in their 30s the, find it very difficult to see yeah. how they'd ever pull together the money to be able to yeah. buy the data 10 years ago the average age for leaving home for adult children was 25 it's now gone up to 28 years mm. of age I think we can't look at the housing issue and you always have the word crisis whenever we're talking about housing in isolation to um, birth rates and pensions. You know, fewer people being born, people living longer. Uh, the, uh, it's the same report by the ESRI talks about um, the amount of the social insurance fund which is going on pensions yeah. was a few years ago about 72%. I think by 2050 they say 85% of that fund is going to go on you know, pensions for older people. Yeah. Um, and all of those things have to be taken in, in the round. Which also then kind of begs the whole question mm. of well, if people don't have a sustainable roof over their heads or if they're still renting for all of their mm. adult working lives and then don't have mm. the security of their own home afterwards, then where do they go mm. when suddenly they've got no income but they still need to rent somewhere? A- absolutely. I mean, you know, I think the piece refers to a time bomb and it is a time bomb. I mean, the other thing is that if you are living, uh, you know, with your parents, if you are living in, you know, sort of a precarious situation in any respect, you don't have the comfort of home, home ownership, um, that's leading an awful lot of young people either to delay the decision to have children or indeed uh, not to have children at all. Mm. Uh, and what that will mean, obviously, uh, for pensions could be absolutely catastrophic. So, the housing crisis, you know, it touches upon so many different facets and aspects 
uh, of life. And I think, again, uh, to go to the politics of it, it's why uh, so many people who, you know, never never would have conceived uh, of voting for Sinn Féin in the past, uh, now they're drifting in that direction, surely, uh, I think, out of frustration as to what they perceive to be the yeah. failure of mainstream politics and how to get it done. And of course, we're still waiting to see exactly what the full impact of the lifting of the ban on no-fault evictions is going to be. But I do know that there's a piece today in page four of the Sunday Times uh, by Claire Scott, political correspondent, um, who's been speaking to Connor Rose, who's the manager of Focus Ireland's coffee shop advice and info service. He says that it's the first time in his 11-year career in homelessness services that he's seen people in full-time employment at risk of living on the streets. Since the start of the year, they've dealt with 485 queries in relation to notices to quit. In the last 11 years, I've seen nothing like this. People who are holding down professional jobs and sleeping in their cars. Uh, And they've seen an uptick in people from queries from people who are approaching retirement age or in their 70s and 80s who are staying long-term renters. I I, I, I don't mean to be dispiriting, and I know it's only quarter past 11 on Sunday morning. I don't know what the way out of that is. Because any impact that, that eases things for people in their, who are pensioners is going to come long after those people are still around to see it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't know what the answer to all that is. If you, you can look at it in one way that, you know, it seems kind of simple in the sense that the population of this country has actually exploded in the past 30 mm. years. Mm. Uh, well, you know, would it, you know a, million, a million or more more people than we had. Yet at the same time, you know, we welcomed all this. We welcomed the flourishing economy, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't build the houses to put these people in. And and this was, I mean, I suppose at one simplistic level, this is all just inevitable. As you say, Gavin, though, how do we dig our way out of it? I just don't have the magic solution. Yeah, which I suppose is maybe why why last week's Red Sea poll and the Business Post made clear that a lot of people don't feel like Sinn Mm -hmm. Féin are going to be able to get to the bottom of this in in one term, Mm -hmm. at least either. Um, There's an aspect of the debate that's missing for me, I think. So there's the need for 50,000 new houses every year for at least the next 10 years. I think, you know, I used to work in the construction industry in Britain where Mm -hmm. there's a whole debate around modern methods of construction that we're not engaging with in Ireland. So So there's debates happening about what what sort of housing or how they deliver it. So constructing houses off-site, prefabricated, timber frames, steel frames, minimises waste. So we take the approach that you've got to build a house block by block in Ireland and that's Mm. not the case. There are a whole range of methods where you can literally lift houses into places. Things are much more efficient. You need serviced sites though, so you need to have a site that's already got like sanitation and whatnot. So we'd need to be setting up modular factories basically and that's the way it's going in Britain to tell you the truth. But but that's exactly the kind of outside the box thinking that we need to engage in. That's That's the that's the only kind of stuff that's the only kind of thinking that's going to get us out of this we need to completely reconceptualize everything Mm -hmm. and think to toss it aside and say look we've got a serious problem here how are we going to deal with it that to me sounds like at least one reasonable way forward I do remember modular housing being put forward as something of a panacea by Alan Kelly when he was the housing minister in 2014 and 15 and then just discovering that it wasn't nearly as cheap or as quick as he thought it to be and again around a year ago they announced they were going to start delivering this at least initially for people coming from UK Ukraine don't haven't seen any of that mm-hmm. on site, and the, the invasion is now fourteen months on, and still no no end date apparently in sight for the delivery of some of those things. Uh, just before we move away from housing, by the way, um, Gillian Woods reminds us on page six of the Business Post that there had been a huge demand from the industry sector for there to be a major overhaul of planning laws because they basically felt that they were stymied by the delays in the current system. And now, Larry, I see that major home builders and infrastructure developers are causing the government to plan the bill because they reckon that it's unworkable when there aren't enough people working and planning to process the new rules. Yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, this, these are all the little details, I suppose, that spring up in the process. And I mean, people can point fingers and point blame, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but again, it shows that this is not 
easily going to be solved and that there are a whole ream of difficulties, practical difficulties, detailed legal difficulties, et cetera, mm. um, that we're going to have to overcome uh, before we get here. And all of that really, uh, anyone reading that piece or reading any related pieces, uh, it's cold comfort to somebody who's living in you know a box room in their parents' house, even though he or she has yeah. a really good job uh, and they can't get on the housing market. Uh, we've already got a few messages about who people would like to see as presenters of The Late Late Show. <laughs> Um, there's a surprising proportion of them who are News Talk presenters. Uh, I don't know whether these are News Talk presenters who are just kind of fishing in. fishing for an invite who are like, yeah. you know who'd be really good? Kieran Cuddy would be really good. I'm going to go and look up the number and it's actually Kieran Cuddy texting in. He hasn't done that, by the way, although, Kieran, the, the floor is open for another hour or so if you do want to pitch your idea. Kieran's name is mentioned, actually. It, it is. I was, I was going to say, yeah. I was disappointed because, uh, not disappointed, I should say I'm, I'm delighted to see Kieran Cuddy and Ann Todd Savage feature yeah. in the speculation. I was a little bit disappointed not to see Gavin Riley's name I in there, know. though. Uh, well, I, I was Gonna, we're going to have a fuller discussion about the late late and some of the difficulties finding it. Suffice to say, there is one bookmaker uh, that is offering odds. The, the list is so extensive of the names that they floated that Vincent Brown, who you know famously retired from broadcasting six years ago for health reasons, is still included as a 1,000 to 1 shot. And I did not make that list. So that is how far down the pecking order I am. There is statistically a less than a 0.1% chance of me being anywhere in There's that There's a odd. piece in the paper today that Mattress Mick would be the best candidate. <laughs> Um, well, we'll we'll come back yeah. to that uh, in a couple of minutes' time. Uh, briefly, before you, you, we, I was asking you just before you came in, um, had either of you watched much of the coronation yesterday? And Rachel, you told me that you, it, it, with all the hallmarks of somebody cramming the night before the exam, yeah. you told me that you watched I three minutes swat. on Sky News Sky last News, night, just before midnight, just before I went to bed to say, "Ooh, what was going on in the mm. UK?" And what did you learn in the three minutes? Uh, other I'm than that, Harry was nowhere I'm near. Fascinated, us. living in the UK for twenty-five years, the whole pomp and ceremony is um, uh, mm. quite interesting. Interesting. Lots of stuff on my social media f- feed from people living in Wales attending anti-monarchy demonstrations. You know, hashtag not my king was trending. Also fascinated by the role of Camilla in the whole thing. You know, I lived in the UK through the Diana years where, you know, Camilla now has moved from mistress to monarch she, yeah. you know, she was like a pantomime dame that seems like a headline in yeah. itself actually but oh. like, she, like she was such a panto villain wasn't she, she at the time she was yeah. reviled yeah. Um, you ruined Diana's marriage terrible person and yesterday just the, in the few minutes I watched she's got a mixture of kind of slight embarrassment wry amusement and mm. I'm dying for a fag <laughs> um, her gown was interesting it had Jack Russell's on the bottom of it, her dogs. Mm. It had the name of her kids and it had kind of symbols from the Four Nations as well. Mm. Um, I did see a, a gag going around that apparently like it, it, all the way under her sleeve just would have been nicotine patches yes, from, from wrist to shoulder to that, try and get over yeah. it. Yeah. The, I mean, the British public have really accepted her now. There's, in one way, is a great love story. You know, they're 50 plus years together essentially and I think that they're they're the best advert for each other essentially yeah. uh, Larry as a uh, as a Democrat with both a capital D and a small D did you take in any of yesterday I have to admit not even a nanosecond uh, did, did I watch it. I'm not one of these Irish American yahoos who hates the monarchy and all this sort mm. of thing uh, nor do I have very strong feelings about it uh, it's more indifference I suppose I just it just doesn't move me one way or the other um, uh, you know good luck to now King Charles and I will say it is interesting that 
the, the point that Rachel makes about um, the rehabilitation, I suppose, of Camilla. The one thing I did re- hear repeatedly on radio was that she had kind of helped him grow into the role uh, of King and all these mm-hmm. other, so very, some laudatory mm-hmm. comments about her when in the past, uh, if we think back to Diana, mm-hmm. she was regarded as this evil witch. Uh, and I think her, yeah. her reputation is certainly is, uh, has grown mm-hmm. in leaps and bounds. Uh, also some speculation in the papers today already as to when Charles and Camilla are going to be making a state visit um, to Ireland. concerns they're still trying to figure out who exactly is going to have their name featured in the opening titles uh, of the Late Late Show from next year uh, Gavin Riley still with you um, st- still on News Talk as well because as has been noted I'm not making any short lists uh, on 11.28 this morning on News Talks on the Record still joined by Larry Donnelly and Rachel Iredale and there's an awful lot uh, it, it's unusual first of all and I don't say this as a criticism it's unusual that effectively a, a showbiz or broadcasting story would make the splash of the business post but such is the significance of the Late Late Show not alone in the Irish media sector, but also really in, in Irish society. Um, the, the rationale for Claire Byrne turning down the job to become the new presenter of The Late Late uh, makes the page one lead. Uh, as we read it out earlier on, uh, bosses were willing to cut the show, shorten it at 11 o'clock, cut back on the number of episodes because of Claire Byrne's con- concerns about how it might weigh on her family life. Um, also a lack of ruthlessness apparently within RTE. And that Claire Byrne was the only viable candidate, meaning that Mary McCallaghan and Sarah McInerney were never fully in consideration uh, to take the job. It all portrays the national broadcaster as kind of just flailing around desperately now trying to find who's going to get their biggest job, Rachel. Yeah, as you said, three weeks ago for Ryan, uh, all the big name women have pulled out, which is really interesting, I think. I was scanning the papers to see who was uh, uh, mentioned as possibilities. Mm. Tommy Tiernan's in the ring, Patrick Keelty, Brendan O'Connor, Dara O'Brien has been mentioned, Mm. Mattress Mick, um, (laughs) you know. (laughs) To be fair, Mattress Mick is is not put in there as a totally uh, flyer of an idea. I know that um, Larry was telling us a minute ago about some of the qualities of Mattress Mix it's not just being invented as as any old name to throw out there there's a whole piece about how good he would be you know and I think it's what does the Late Late Show represent in Irish society its sociological importance Mm. can't be uh, underestimated in the 70s 80s and 90s perhaps it's you know, transformed into something slightly different in this day and age with the myriad of choices that we have available. Yeah. But still, a lot of people go back to it week after week after week. We were surprised to hear that it only operates for 37 weeks of the year. Mm. Uh, but we were discussing the possibility, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, about a guest yeah, presenter. Well, so, so, well, because it strikes me, so I, I was going to, to offer this as something of a solution to RTE's mm. um, hosting woes and, and you've come in and you were thinking exactly the same thing. Well, I'm thing. a consultant, so I'd get paid well, there for you go. Okay, that. right, well, because here I am doing it for free yeah. like a mug um, but so, so explain them the, the, the rationale that you were going to present the idea so of having you, rotating guest hosts do you hosts. remember Have I Got News for You Angus Deaton key presenter for years and years did really well yeah. then there was a scandal he had yeah. to resign this is a family programme so let's yeah. not remind people what he was up to yeah, yeah exactly BBC flailing around what would they do so they came up with this idea that nobody mm. thought would work actually to have a guest presenter every week and actually they've given loads of people a go they have repeat presenters but they get the great and the good from right across the range you know drama, comedy, politics, mm. everybody takes a turn. And actually the interesting thing about the show now is what's the chemistry going to be like between the presenter and the main panellists? You know, they can, um, you know, have a bit of a joke, they mm. can slag each other off. It actually works really well, I think. And I think that sort of format might be good for RTE. So, uh, well, RTE, I think, have said that they didn't want to effectively have people auditioning for the job. Um, but I feel like they're in a, a position now where anyone who either wants a job isn't sure 
more about how it's going to work with their family life or for any candidate there's speculation around whether they can carry the heavier items as well as the lighter items or how well they might do for a toy show style environment and I, I sort of feel like it would play to a lot of people's strengths by just giving people a week on at a time because then you would find yourself tuning in to see oh um, Ed Sheeran's on this week yeah. you want to see want to see what Ed Sheeran mm. does he perform or what, what's he got to say mm. for himself about things that have been going mm. on in his life but then you'd find yourself Larry tuning in to see well you know how would um, Jennifer Zamparelli do with a, a, a deeper item the likes of which he might not get to do on a radio programme or, or how would um, Tommy Tiernan deal with a political guest as well as somebody from, from showbiz you, you'd find yourself tuning in to see how the host does as much as the guest would. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting idea, and I think it's probably one that has more currency than it would have ordinarily because of what we've seen unfold in the past couple of weeks. Mm. Um, that having been said, uh, I still think it's a, a, probably a remote possibility, and the, the reason I say that is uh, because I think RT is very risk averse, uh, and I think that uh, you know you're talking about it from the viewer's point of view as to what you know you might be interested in tuning into, but from a production point of view, I think having a different person every week would present all sorts of complexity and uncertainty um, that an organization that is typically risk-averse wouldn't uh, welcome, I I wouldn't think. What I find remarkable about this, and particularly the Business Post story, is that um, the RT seems as if they were going to give Claire Byrne just about anything she wanted Mm -hmm. uh, in order to present which remains the biggest gig uh, in Irish media, Uh, and she still said no. And I'm not at all surprised that they focused in on Claire Byrne. She is superb at what she does. She does light stuff. She does serious stuff. She's very, very good. But that said, uh, it is quite remarkable that despite all of those concessions, she still said, uh, this isn't the gig for me. Mm. Uh, now, RT finds itself in a difficult public relations point of view, uh, where it's almost it, it appears almost to be shopping the program. Who wants to take mm-hmm. this on? Now, the name that, at least in the Business Post and in the bookies, uh, Patrick Keelty is the name coming mm. to mind, who's a very good comedian. Uh, but I have two questions about him. One is, can they afford him? Uh, the second is, uh, I'm thinking of the Late Late Show demographic, and I'm notoriously not pop culture oriented at all. Okay. Uh, I have a little bit of an awareness of Patrick Keelty. Mm. I'm thinking about 60 plus audiences for the, for the Late Late Show. I suspect an awful lot of them, upon hearing Patrick Kilty's name, would say, who's that? I nearly mm. wondered the opposite, because I think that Patrick Kilty hasn't been very active on these shores, because he's been making his living doing Saturday mornings, I think, on BBC Radio 5 Live for the last while, and that actually he is not as well remembered among younger generations as he might have been when he first came to prominence around the Good Friday era, turn of the century, where he was somebody who was comfortable making jokes about some of the darker aspects of Northern Ireland's past. So I, I nearly wonder, would he be catering to the demographic that Ortier are trying to keep, but not to a newer one maybe that they're trying to chase? Um, I should read out some of the, the, the names that have um, come in. So um, Kieran Cuddy, as we mentioned, is floated by... Um, Daniel Murray uh, inside or inside the Business Post today. Um, Good morning, Gavin. I would like to see Anton Savage host the Late Late Show. Uh, says somebody who is calling themselves Donna, who I presume is not Anton. Again, fishing for a gig, but Ant- <laughs> Anton Savage. I've seen mentions around the place because he has a history of doing the lighter and darker mm. items. Um, somebody else says um, Emma McNamara. I think who was most recently a business presenter on RTE. Also, Show Moncrief. Show Moncrief mm. could be an excellent choice yeah, for the Late possibly. Late Show. Yeah. Uh, although I would like to see them bring back Don't Feed the Gondolas um, mm. with Brendan O'Connor, uh, which would also vacate a Sunday morning radio show. Uh, which would be uh, very useful. Uh, somebody else says, Jay's is Gav, the late, late, please don't. Most of us don't give a flying F to that person. Which mm. which brings us to the question of if they're not sure if there's a natural fit for the late, late show, is it an indispensable part mm. of RT's offering? You know, clearly, there, there's a sponsorship aspect and that it pays a lot of the bills. Yeah, I think about 11 but, grand per yeah. advert, I think. But the, if, if you're mm. not sure about its direction, mm. there's an argument for letting it go rather mm. than sort of 
plunging it into this kind of uncertainty. Too much of a money spinner. I think anybody looking at this gig would think, God, the Twitter trolls that it's going to attract. You know, it's mm. there's so much discussion about it now. Who would actually want to take this on? Mm. Um, which which is an interesting phenomenon yeah. in itself, actually, because th- there's almost an argument that when uh, so Ryan was was on radio himself on Friday morning d- discussing Claire Byrne ruling herself out, and seemed to like compliment her so much in the decision that you'd almost wonder he's well, not actually, selling it. You know, well, like, <laughs> yeah. what, what would you say to someone who's yeah. thinking about taking it on that is actually yeah. ever worth taking on? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I suppose you know, trying to put myself in Ryan Tuberty's head, he has been doing the show, and I should I should say doing a tremendous job of it for many years. So mm. uh, at the end of it, maybe he's just a little bit tired mm. of it. So that's the the point of view he's coming from. I wonder, another name featuring the speculation is somebody who has presented uh, numerous television programs on RTE, uh, and that's Brendan O'Connor. Mm. Uh, and I wonder if uh, Brendan O'Connor may be leaned upon uh, at this stage, somebody who's done it, someone who they trust, someone who has a reasonably good uh, relationship with uh, the viewers and the listeners. Uh, I wonder if Brendan O'Connor will, might be pressed into service here. Let's, let's unusually for this sort of slot on a Sunday morning break the fourth wall and observe that Brendan Brendan O'Connor, uh, and I'd look, at, I'd, I'd love if he had fewer of them, but Brendan O'Connor's radio ratings are excellent. And there is a question of whether you'd be um, damaging one lucrative aspect of Ortiz's offering to bring in another. That if Brendan is routinely getting 300 plus thousand people on a Saturday and Sunday morning, you, you can't be doing Saturday mm-hmm. mornings if you've been up until nearly midnight the night before. So radio would have to go. And that's a big question. It's 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 a very fair question. And again, these are the kinds of things I suspect that are being discussed behind closed doors uh, at RTE. Uh, they find themselves, I think, in a position they didn't think they would be in. I think mm. that most of them uh, assumed that Claire Byrne would accept the program and be the new mm. presenter of the Late Late Show. Were sort of for their from their point of view in I suppose what might be called uncharted waters. Uh, mm. Claire Byrne is too good for the Late Late, and she knows it. Right decision, says JB, uh, texting in, and Gav- someone else says, Gavin, it's time to prove uh, that it's time to axe the Late Late Show it has run its course we no longer have somebody with the gravitas to hold that forum on a Friday night skip it for a few years and then maybe bring it back revised and refreshed I wonder if you were an executive in RTE are you looking at some mood whiteboard or something and you've got some variables there you know should it be a man should it be a woman should it be somebody over 40 should it be somebody under 40 should it be somebody Irish born should it be somebody not born originally in Irish you know do they have an ideal person now on a board somewhere and is there anybody in that Venn diagram mm. of, of variables that is going to fit and maybe not uh, Brian has been in touch on Twitter who says that Mattress Make for the Late Late has Dust and the Turkey vibes for Eurovision <laughs> uh, let's let's not be that Ireland again maybe because uh, uh, I know Larry, Larry you're reading this piece by, by Daniel Murray who as well as being, being the political correspondent for the Business Post uh, was once upon a time a senior producer of Tonight with Vincent Brown uh, on TV3 as it were so he does have some some TV experience and can bring that perspective to it Um, there's a reason why he thinks that Mattress Mick wouldn't be a crazy idea well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's probably a little bit out in left field, to, to be frank. I mean, maybe there'd be a curiosity factor, maybe draw some viewers, etc. Uh, but I think that that's, uh, that's unlikely. Look, uh, the reality is, uh, I don't think it's a good thing for from the from an RTE point of view for the speculation to c- continue on. Mm-hmm. I think that they need to uh, com- come up with a decision to name uh, a new presenter and, uh, I suppose, recalibrate or however, whatever they're going to do. Some, uh, some element of recalibration, of course, is going to follow because... Ryan did the program his way, just as Pat did it his way, just mm. as Gay did it his mm-hmm. way. There's going to be some recalibration, but obviously uh, that process, the uncertainty needs to stop and that process of recalibration uh, needs to begin ASAP. John in Cork, I'm surprised Joe Duffy hasn't been mentioned as a potential host of The Late Late Show. I've heard crazier ideas. 
I heard it on radio the other day. Someone suggested Joe Duffy as a potential. And again, yeah. somebody who can do the, the range of mm-hmm. different things. Someone who, again, is a proven uh, mm-hmm. audience getter with a loyal following. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, look, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. impossible. Um, let's just move on. By the way, keep your suggestions coming. 087-1400-106 is a number via WhatsApp if you want to pitch um, any prospective Late Late Show host of what you think should be the future of the programme, uh, given that Claire Byrne has ruled herself out. Um, a, there's an interesting piece across some of the Sunday papers. This is a total gear change now for just a moment. Um, it is obviously communion season. Uh, and if you're driving anywhere around the roads of Ireland, you'll see a lot of bouncy castles knocking around the place because they're the, the standard uh, de rigueur um, garden party piece of furniture um, for um, those celebrating their first communions. Um, there's a piece, it's in the mail on Sunday, and I think there's also one of the Sunday Times, Rachel, about how um, no longer is it, though, all about the the bouncing castles, that there apparently now is an emerging market for luxury igloos and teepees as the uh, pièce de résistance of your garden furniture if you're having your first communion. My kids are in their 20s, so this is alien to me, to tell you the truth. So the piece is about... Um, on the on the one hand, I can understand it. It's parents having somebody come to their house, provide everything, uh, mm. tidy up, wrap it all up, walk away. You really have to do nothing but throw money at yeah. the issue. And there's everything from uh, little boys and girls having sleepover parties in teepees, uh, having makeovers, you know, getting their nails done, on mini facials, all of that sort of stuff. Whether these activities mm. are suitable what to the lads do uh, for children, <laughs> the boys who knows? Have facials. Too. They're having facials too. Um, you know, so the the things look gorgeous. Um, uh, I, Larry and I were discussing this. Obviously, this idea has come from America. Mm. Um, you know, but it's it seems to be taking communions to a whole other level. A few years ago, it was all about little girls getting fake tans and manicures and stuff like that. This is just bonkers as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Julianne Cor tells us on page three of the Sunday Times that TPs cost 60 euro per child and include fairy lights, lanterns, dream catchers, breakfast trays and outdoor themed accessories. Outdoor igloos start at 450 euro. Start at 450 euro depending on the location and include fairy lights and an electric heater. Seven-year-olds these days—it's uh, mental. Certainly, it was certainly. I know it's. I know the ideas come from America, but it certainly wasn't around in my time when I had my first communion in America. Uh, we had my Larry Junior had his uh, communion last year, and we had the uh, the standard bouncy castle, yeah. and everybody uh, had a, a great time. They all uh, sleep brilliantly afterwards. That's what I generally find. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's a nice day. I, I get my 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 father Larry, as my wife might say, my father Larry rant out of the way. Uh, the only concern I have is somebody who does go to church every week is. Uh, how many of these children will be seen in the church after their first communion? Anyway, I'll put that one. I'll put that one to one side. But the other thing, you know, when I see the igloo and I see the money, etc., uh, one wonders if parents behind somewhere beneath it all in corners that they don't talk about are saying, "Look, if we make this kind of investment and provide this kind of experience, will my kid get a little bit more in the old envelope when they, when it's time for the gift?" But anyway, mm. maybe I'm too cynical. Cynical. <laughs> uh, a few more messages. Kira Darty for the late late to somebody who wants the Tonight Show to be gutted of, of half of it. Somebody else's. Ian Dempsey for the Late Late Show mm-hmm. ticks all the boxes uh, certainly a different end of the working day than he's usually used to he's usually on air at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, on another floor in this uh, building uh, somebody else says Baz or Patrick Keelty or Andrea Gilligan mm-hmm. Andrea Gilligan of Lunchtime Live for the Late Late mm-hmm. Show the campa- Angela Scanlon was one I was surprised wasn't being discussed much uh, the campaign for Andrea Gilligan starts here Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll work on the hashtag we'll, work, we'll <laughs> workshop that during the ad break we'll be back with Hilney Hay of the INMO talking about burnout in nurses and more from the papers with Larry and Rachel after this 
still joined in studio to go through the Sunday papers by Rachel Iredale and Larry Donnelly. Also joined on the line now uh, by Phil Nihay, General Secretary of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Uh, Phil, thank you for joining us. I know it's been a busy week because you've been holding your uh, annual Congress in County Kerry this week, so I appreciate you coming on uh, when you really could be doing other things with your weekend, trying to uh, restore yourself. But I suppose on that theme, um, one of the great themes of your, your Congress this week was the extent of, of burnout in the nurse and midwife sector. Um, I know before we get into some of the, the findings of it, you might just got us through the general uh, picture of, of what the level of stress and burnout among your members is. Well, I think, uh, good morning, Gavin, to you and your listeners. I, I think the most um, obvious issue that nurses and midwives are still raising is the after effects of the pandemic. What they've been through has been very difficult, as everybody knows, but the protections for them weren't sufficient and they don't believe that they have been sufficiently improved since um, the the major restrictions have been lifted and that they're still working in very difficult circumstances, short-staffed, um, and, and all of that leads to burnout and all of that leads to situations where nurses who in today's world have many choices about where they work globally are making these decisions and making these choices. And the Nursing and Midwifery Board representatives who attended our conference have expressed to us that they are concerned about the number of applicants now for certificates um, that would allow nurses work abroad. So it is a problem. It continues to be a problem. We welcomed the minister's announcement um, that he would this year fully fund and complete the rollout of the framework for nurse staffing. This was one of the results of our strike in 2019, which it, it's a measurement tool to determine how many nurses you need to employ the skill mix between nurses and healthcare assistants that is necessary to provide safe care but it has never been fully funded. So the minister has pledged 25 million to roll it out in the remaining hospitals um, by the end of this year. So that tells us that there is an acknowledgement now that our hospitals are operating unsafely, that 854 whole-time equivalent posts are needed just to make our acute hospitals safe, not to expand services beyond what we need. As everybody knows, we need more beds and for every bed, you need a nurse. So this is just to stand still and then um, the, the issues of expansion um, must be tackled. Do you feel like those sorts of pledges are, are maybe the first time that there's been a material acknowledgement from the government that there's a staffing issue or, or is this just a case of always announcing things to try and dig into the arrears but always leaving some kind of short staffing there? Well, I hope it's the former, Gavin, because it's very serious. Patient care now is 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 very significantly compromised. I think from um, our long arguments and and every year for the last um, three years at our conference, our delegates have stood up and described what's happening. And still, we're always very disappointed at the budgetary allocation in October uh, of money to the framework. So uh, in its first year, we got 500,000 allocated, which we knew wouldn't go anywhere near implementing it. The second year, we just got 5 million And it has been very piecemeal and very slow. And it doesn't take into account that um, you have to recruit uh, all of the time in the health service 
um, to to just stand still. In other words, people leave and go elsewhere. So mm. you could recruit 6,000, but the net of that might only be 1,500 yeah. because in the meantime, nurses and midwives have left. I, but I think without being um, an, entirely negative, I think we, we would be hopeful that there now is an understanding of how dangerous the health service is. HICWA, for example, have um done many of their uh, have have published many of their findings this year alone where they describe patient uh, care as being inhumane in many of our public hospitals now to remain deaf to that is immoral in our view likewise mm. we're now becoming increasingly dependent on nurses from non eu countries coming to ireland to prop up our health service and the who's red list includes countries like Ghana, Zimbabwe, and we're still recruiting. We were still recruiting from those countries, despite mm-hmm. the WHO telling us to stop. Um, I'm just looking at the HSE's trolley guard figures this morning. 342 people on trolleys in emergency departments, not including those in other wards, which I know is counted by the INMO. Of those, 85 of them this morning have been there uh, for over 24 hours. Uh, and the number of people on trolleys this morning in emergency departments is 58% higher than it was a year ago. Um, just one item of clarity, Phil, if I can, because I think this has been taken up by, by in different ways. In, in some elements of the media. Um, one element of the survey of your members that you reported this week was that three quarters of them had considered leaving their current work area. And I, that's been taken up by some people to mean that they would just consider moving to a different branch of nursing or midwifery or maybe just leaving uh, their current workplace and going to another one. Some have taken it up to mean that some are prepared to just simply leave the discipline and go and work abroad or, or leave the profession entirely. Um, have you any sense of which it is? How many members would actually consider just just dropping tools and leaving the profession for good? It's it's about 70% of, of, of that respondents who would who would leave. And, and that leaving is a, is a mixture of early retirement. Um, many nurses now who are, you know, they've come through a pandemic, they're in their, in their late 50s, early 60s, and we know the age profile of nursing has increased. Uh, they just can't simply do this physically demanding work any longer because they, just, they 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 tell us and they have said numerous times over the last three days at our conference that the protections are simply not there. Like the assault figures are very high. There's 11 assaults a day now recorded against nurses. That's very difficult. Mm. Uh, it shouldn't be happening. But uh, when you get when you get into um, your late 50s, early 60s, it's simply not possible to continue. There isn't an early retirement scheme for nurses, uh, unlike uh, our colleagues in Ungarra Shihan and the prison service. Mm. And uh, many nurses got to the podium this year and said there should be. Our job is, is very physically demanding. And as you age, that becomes more and more difficult. Uh, we'll see what comes of it Phil we will let you go thank you very much for giving us your time this morning as I said now it's been a busy week for you Phil Hay, the General Secretary of the INMO joining us on the record this morning um, 11.52 so just a few minutes left to go through some of the items in the papers with Larry and Rachel by the way more late late texts coming in uh, John says Elephant in the Room Tuberty's Toy Show has ruined the late late there are many presenters who would have the combination of comedy and gravitas to do the weekly programme but maybe they won't do that uh, Liam Oak says Patrick Keelty ideal candidate somebody else says Kilkenny man Kieran Cudahy uh, somebody else says Meath man uh, Hector Ahokagon John Creedon perfect fit for the late late says another texter uh, do keep them coming nice variety um, Rachel Ardell would you would you like the job why not if I'm um, paid well enough um, there's a few items in the papers about what the uh, the Russian government may have been up to but also actually just because you have it open in front of you actually maybe this is interesting for a few minutes to, to finish up uh, Neve Horan sit down with Donald Trump now I would have thought 
any journalist sitting down uh, with Donald Trump, their instinct would be to ask about events that are in the news, about the civil prosecution, for example, for the rape trial in New York. Uh, Neve Horan, to her credit, took a slightly different approach and, and maybe has gotten somewhere where the others wouldn't. Um, I'm sceptical about this interview, to tell you the truth. She had a couple of good interesting opening questions uh, but on the basis of how he answered those I think he just uh, reverted to type and gave just some standard bland answers I reckon you could have put into chat GPT uh, please ah. please generate an interview for me in the style of Donald Trump that just re- reverts but to electioneering like asking questions that you, you wouldn't often hear Donald Trump being asked like you know your impressions of your father or what, what it was like as being his child and like, he gave a trite answer about his father was a good man who worked hard but if you read his aunt's autobiography Mary's uh, mm. book you know his father was a very difficult uh, man uh, I don't think uh, Donald dug deep maybe he's got mm. no depths in which to dig mm. um, but certainly I found personally the interview a little bit disappointing a little bit of psychoanalysis uh, there that, you know, just didn't nothing was revealed mm. from this other than Donald Trump thinks he owns the ocean. Um, <laughs> yes. For me. Because Dubeck yeah. has the ocean and no, yeah. nobody else has the ocean, yeah. so he said of mm. the ocean. It, it uh, lacked critical analysis for me. Larry? It, she tried but didn't didn't hit Larry? the mark. Uh, yeah, I, I, I might have a, a slightly different view in the sense that uh, maybe this only confirms a few things but, but I think Rachel's right. I mean, you know, he's very generous here towards his father. If you read any other accounts, his father was not a very nice guy and in particular was very high uh, on Donald Trump, and I think that's le- left a lasting imprint uh, on Donald Trump, not trying to psychoanalyze him. But I think some of his responses to the questions, you know, she starts off by asking, what do most people get wrong about you? Mm. And he says, uh, I think I'm a nice person, whereas most people uh, would have a different view. Mm. Um, I think he, that- he projects different view, though. He projects somebody who's very tough talking hard dealing he doesn't project a very sympathetic figure no he doesn't you know and, and I think one, one of the things that comes through all of his responses as meandering as they absolutely are is that here's somebody who absolutely craves attention who craves the limelight but who wants people to think he's Mr. Big that he is somebody that he is mm. something I mean for instance even when he's talking I'm, I'm a golfer so I can relate to this even <laughs> when he says he, he's totally shifts topic and says how was my drive yeah. 285 down yeah. the middle did you see that he wants I saw to- his swing it was it was dreadful. Like why, why aren't we just calling it out openly? Like his swing was it was like a baseball swing. It was like a hurler's swing. He didn't have like the the you know the bulk of the club over his head to get a full. I'm I'm, to- I'm told he's, I'm told he's not a bad golfer. He probably exaggerates, but I'm told he's not a bad golfer. But I think that's what comes through uh, an awful lot uh, of his responses here. And I, sh- I think we should say fair play to Neve. She got 25 minutes uh, she did. With, with the which former president of the United States. 25 minutes and, more than most of the rest. And, of his and I'm sure Neve yeah. didn't hide the fact. And we've debated in this very studio. Neve is a Trump supporter. Mm. She is a fan of his. Uh, I'm sure she used that to her to her advantage. Uh, I really do need to wrap up. Um, have either of you been to see Bruce Springsteen this week, or no. are you going? No, no. Uh, uh, did do you see the the religious aspect to it? I kind of find all the the coverage to be sort of quasi religious, and I just well, don't understand. Bruce has done it. Bruce sings about it. You relate to what Bruce has done. I think you know. Yeah. There's a three minute song tells you all you need to know about life. Whether well, he's so beloved that honestly he could uh, he could take over the late late show. Um, Rachel Ardale, Larry Don- Donnelly, thank you very much. On the record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.